Welcome to the Jesus Name News Podcast. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, welcome to the Jesus Name News Podcast. Uh, We are here this week and we are talking about Yom Kippur. Um, If you don't know, it's a a Jewish holiday and we're going to talk about what that is. We're going to talk about how that works and we're going to talk about what it means for our lives today as Christians. Like what can we learn from this and how can we apply those lessons to our life? So Derek, we're here today. Um, Why don't you let us know what is exactly Yom Kippur? I mean, simply Christians would know it as the Day of Atonement. Um, it's considered the most important holiday in the Jewish faith. Like it is one of those high holy days that you hear about. Um, It falls in the month of Tishri, which typically is September or October uh, on the Gregorian calendar, which is what we use. Um, uh, A little backstory. So like we did Teshuvah uh, maybe a couple episodes ago. Um, Teshuvah leads up into Yom Kippur, which we said. So it does mark the culmination of the 10 days of awe, uh, which is a period of introspection and repentance. And it follows Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish new year. Um, This explanation has a much, much deeper meaning. Uh, The name Yom Kippur is based in the Bible verse uh, Leviticus 23 and 27. Uh, It says, but on the 10th day of the seventh month, it is the day of Kippurim, which is, unto you. And the literal translation of Kippurim is cleansing. Uh, Yom Kippur is a Jewish day to atone for misdeeds, you know, so those things we did wrong and become cleansed and purified from them. Okay? Yeah, so real quick, okay, it's Kippur. Yom Kippur. I just, I I have, I I have this fear in me that I'm going to call it Yom Kippur at some point, like Gipper or something like said like that and and I know that is wrong. Yeah, Yom Kippur or Kippur, I don't I don't really know if it matters because the the root or the root word Purim is called Purim. So Yom Kippur could I assume be right as well. Um okay. but in tradition, you know, and in history, um Yom Kippur the first time was Moses, uh, something that probably not very many people know. Uh, it took place after the Exodus uh, from Egypt and at the arrival of Mount Sinai, like where God yeah. gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And yeah, I was going to say, um, sorry, uh, but I was going to say, like, I always thought that the Day of Atonement was Passover. So, like, it's really interesting to me that it's actually an entirely different day and i for one am very very interested in learning what the difference between the two is and like we talk about jesus's sacrifice as if it was done on the day of atonement you know and so like things to look forward to and i'll learn with all of you is how this applies because it's it's definitely an adjustment which Every time we've talked about these Jewish holidays or these Jewish Jewish traditions or Jewish Old Testament functions, I find that there's all kinds of things that like we have just like half a step or half a turn wrong in how we think about them. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously Yom Kippur or Kippur, uh, it comes in September and October. That's the first difference. Yeah. And, you know... Easter and Passover come in March or April. Uh, So that's obviously the first difference. Um, But there are some very big similarities at the same time. So, um, you know, at that arrival of Mount Zana, so just again, as Moses is descending from the mountain, Moses caught his people worshiping that golden calf and shattered the sacred tablets that God had written with his own finger in anger. And uh, because 
the Israelites atoned for their idolatry, God forgave their sins and offered Moses uh, a second set of tablets. But guess what? And I always like saying this, that second set of tablets were not inscribed by the finger of God. Moses had to do it himself, which I always find interesting. So the first Yom Kippur had all the parts of human failure, you know, sin and anger and it also had all the parts of God that we speak of, which are forgiveness and redemption. So, like I said, we know this as the day the, that the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood on the Ark of, on the Ark of the Covenant to make an atonement for Israel's sin. And Yom Kippur is, has required action from both the priest and the people. So the high priest was to make an atonement through sacrifice. And uh, part of that sacrifice, uh, you know, the people for their part were to practice self-denial and refrain from doing work. Thus, all Israelites had to do their part during this collective day of atonement. So Yom Kippur is, is, it has that requirement from both sides of the aisle. Uh, by God's commandment, the high priest, and you'll love this because this is something we've talked about before. By God's commandment, the high priest followed a specific protocol. He couldn't just walk into the Holy of Holies. Guess what he had to do? He had to bathe and dress so in white linen and raiment. What does that echoes up? Well, it sounds like a mikvah, which, you know, we would call baptism. Exactly. And this is where baptism is actually derived from. Yeah. So an act of purification, just like baptism. So, so this was, was this in the, uh... yeah, this is the moment where I have a total brain freeze on the tub in the center of the tabernacle. Yeah, well, the tub in the center of the tabernacle was, I think it was just, a, it was for their hands. Okay, um, so that was just kind of for their hands. So this was yeah. probably someplace else, like the full bathing. Yeah, this is something that like, he had to do before he could even think about entering in. Okay. The Holy of Holies. So there in the Holy of Holies, where no one was allowed except God, the Ark of the Covenant, and the high priest. He made two sin offerings, a bull for his own house and a goat and a goat for the people. So like part of this sacrifice that I wanted to mention earlier, this is probably the most important part that I'm going to say. The priest would lay his hand on the head of a second goat, which had been chosen by Lot as the scapegoat. Right. So the scapegoat is what we would typically say, well, I'm just the scapegoat for the company. You know, I'm the one that's in the wrong, whatever. So it was chosen as the scapegoat. It was taking on all the wrongdoing. And after the high priest spoke the sins and iniquities of the people and put them on its head, the scapegoat would be removed into the wilderness. So that is obviously echo echoing the cross. So today, and what I kind of want to talk about is observing Jews spend most of the days of all that I spoke of uh, that fall between Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year, and Yom Kippur, uh, making amends with their fellow men. You know, they're so that, you know, they enter the season of Yom Kippur in a spirit of reconciliation and an atonement for past wrongs, things that they've done wrong. We, we learn in scripture that we have to be in right relationship with our neighbors if we are to love the Lord our God, right? The two the interesting thing that I've I've never heard is that they spend this time making amends. Like they don't just go like my bad God and then move on with their life and ignore it and pretend it never happened. They actually like go back and try to fix things when they can. Like yeah, that's just really interesting to me because Again, it's something that I feel like the modern church doesn't do. Like we don't we don't treat repentance as something where we also should try to make fix things. Like we actually should fix relationships we've broken. We should fix people we've hurt. 
you know, like we should, when possible, do those things. Um, so it's really interesting to me that that when we look back at how the Jews in the Old Testament re- observed things, that part of that included that process of making amends of of righting wrongs that we've committed. You know, because if you really think about it, if you continually and regularly do things like making amends, it's not like it's that hard to do. You know, like if if you are looking at things you've done wrong and how you can fix them. And if they need to be fixed, let's be real. Some things just don't need to be, or some things can't be, but like the things that are realistic, you know, like I, I think of like me personally, right. I, I yelled at my daughter a little, little much this morning, <laughs> you know, I'll be honest. I did. She was throwing a tantrum and I reacted more harshly than I needed to. And the thing is, is that like my first reaction wasn't just, it wasn't just to, you know, repent to God of that. I repented to her. Like I told her that I was wrong. Not that her tantrum was okay, but that my reaction to it also wasn't okay. Yeah. Because I didn't want her to think that she wasn't worth me letting her know that you know, she deserves to expect better of me than that. Well, and, and you know, and, and, and so I guess I just, I really like that. Cause it's something that I'm kind of looking, I I'm kind of, God has led me to look at in my life and in the life of those around me to kind of like, let's, let's look at this aspect of it. So. I mean, it goes hand in hand with, yeah, the, the hot, the hot, the hot, um, which is, you know, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might, which is Deuteronomy 6 and 5. I always have trouble with that. Um, And the second law that Jesus adds is you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you know? Uh, So speaking into that, and that also comes in, you know, Leviticus chapter 19 and 18 and then Mark 12 and 30, but you talking about you repenting to your daughter a lot, all that stuff goes hand in hand with Yom Kippur and repentance and forgiveness. And I feel like we've been on this repentance forgiveness thing for a while now. Um, But in addition to making amends, it's common to feast the day before Yom Kippur, you know, in preparation for the fast. So part of Yom Kippur is that they fast and, uh, most children aren't exempt and the sick obviously aren't exempt. So like a kid can't go all day without eating. Like it's just not going to happen. Many observant Jews also light a candle for their deceased parents on Yom Kippur and a practice also carried out all that they do, you know, when on the anniversary of their parents' deaths, which we all do that. I feel like in America anyway, but we typically go honor them either on the day they died or their birthday or something like that. But I got a question. So, and I'm not sure if you know the answer to this, maybe we'll have to look at this and revisit it at a later podcast, but like, so that, that idea that children and the sick are exempt, is that something that actually is mentioned in scripture ever? I mean, I, I don't know of it, but I'm just curious if that's something that's mentioned in scripture or if it's something that just kind of is makes common sense like i feel like it's a common sense thing like it kind of like if you're diabetic like i'm not saying you can't fast on some level but you probably shouldn't water fast if you're diabetic because uh you know your blood sugar is going to go all super wonky and you're not going to be okay and and depending on how severe your diabetes is and what type it is you could even die like god doesn't tell us to do things that would explicitly and knowingly harm ourselves so it just it is common sense but i was just curious like is that one of those things from the the talmud or from like a later teaching or is is there a biblical and i i mean we'll have to look it up obviously we can't right now in the middle of our podcast but that'd be something i'd be interested in in finding out and when we do find out we will report it to you all yes so 
the day of Yom Kippur itself is actually observed, you know, by abstaining from work. People practice self-denial. They they try to they try to basically refuse their flesh of any kind of comforts, I guess. So uh, they don't eat, they don't drink, they don't bathe, they don't wear sandals, they don't indulge in conjugal intercourse. So uh, by abstaining from work and indulgence, they're meant to enter that state of what have I done wrong? How can I repent of this? And, you know, trying to make them right and realizing that dependence on God for redemption, like we can't do it ourselves. So what, a, and, you know, when you go to, if you go to synagogue, and I feel like it would be cool to go, probably go to synagogue on Yom Kippur. Um, I know that may be, I guess, disrespectful. I don't know, but I feel like it'd be. My question with that always, like, and, and I, I feel, I feel like this is not appropriate to say, but like going to a synagogue nowadays, is that even actual, like, is it even a synagogue really according to Christian beliefs? Like, I mean, obviously, if theoretically speaking, this isn't actually what it is, but if the New Testament isn't true and Jesus wasn't the Messiah, then sure, okay, on some level, they must be, right? But like, because they're not doing sacrifice, because they're not doing so many aspects of what the law said to do anyway, and because Jesus was the Messiah, like, I don't know. I just, I always have that question, like how, uh, you know, like modern Jews and what they're doing and where that fits in everything theology, theologically. So, but let me ask you this, like theologically, when you think of repentance in the Old Testament, what comes to mind? I I don't know. What what biblical story? I guess if I were going to say like, like six months ago, I probably would have told you like, is repentance in the old testament (laughs) (laughs) but now we know better you know i mean now i know better you know so like now i'm i'm like you know like it definitely talks about it because yom kippur and you know purim and you know all of this stuff yeah like all this stuff like dude it's all over the place but like i mean i don't I I don't I even now knowing that it is a thing in the Old Testament I don't necessarily have like a vision of what repentance before you know Jesus and the apostles ministry and their doctrine looked like like what or let me, I mean, let me let's even you. be real here I don't know what it I, I don't necessarily have an idea of what it explicitly looked like in the first century I just know what it looks like in the 20th century so let me give you like so something that surprised me when I was reading up on this and researching for the show, part of their special synagogue readings for Yom Kippur is the book of Jonah. And the reason they do it is because it's representative of what repentance can do to God, like sincere repentance, what it can do to God. You know, like that, that really intrigued me because like, it says the book of Jonah. Like they don't stop when, when, uh, when Nineveh repents, that means they read the entire book. And, you know, Jonah is most famous for the well and for being in the belly of the well or getting spit out and all those things. Right. Yeah. But I think that last chapter has the more applicable to, to Christians. Exactly. That last chapter where Jonah thinks he's done a good job and he's excited to sit down for the show of God's punishment. Like exactly. He's eating popcorn. Like if he 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 he's that that meme. Well, whichever one you want, because let's be real, there's a couple dozen of them now of person with the popcorn just ready to go. Michael Jackson. You know, like You know, I mean, there's tons of places in the Bible where God calls people to repent. There's tons of people where places in the Bible where God tells people if they turn from their wickedness and turn to him, that he'll save them. But there aren't a whole lot of places in the Bible where somebody is faced to deal with the reality of 
God's punishment of people is not your place to enjoy it. No. And the, I know, feel like a lot of us Christians sit at the table of punishment rather than the table of repentance. Yeah. Like we are much more ready to sit at the table of someone being punished than we are to see someone redeemed. Well, just think about people talking about, you know, come quickly, Lord, nowadays. You know, Paul said, come quickly, Lord, because I want to go home. Like, I want to see heaven. I want to be with you forever. Like, I love you so much, God, that I just want to be with you forever. So come quickly. That's how they meant it. Yeah. But when you see people say, come quickly, Lord, now, they're they're like, come quickly, Lord, and get them. Like, right. what? Like, yeah, and that's, that, 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 that's not the right attitude to have. Like, come quickly, Lord, isn't uh, come and punish these jerks that I don't like. It's come and, and take me home because I just want to be with you. And, and sometimes this life is awful and sometimes it hurts. And a lot of times I feel very alone yeah. and, and I just want to be with you where those things aren't in existence, you know, and and I think, you know, Jonah is really a great lesson at repentance. You know, it's something that I think maybe we we should look at more in repentance. Like, that's a really good reminder of that because repentance isn't just about coming into reconciliation with God. It's also about learning not to turn up your nose at the people who haven't repented yet or the people who are repenting after you, that you're not better than them. Right. Well, and, you know, I, I find Jonah just as a very interesting case study, because when I asked you, like, when you think of repentance in the Old Testament, what do you think of? You had nothing. And most people probably wouldn't. Yeah, that's completely fair. Right. But because when I like like you, like six months ago, I would have been like, man, I don't know. Now I know better. But, yeah, you know, when you look at Jonah, I just think about. The man runs away. God sends a storm and get and basically endangers the lives of others to get Jonah's attention. Jonah says, hey, throw me overboard. A whale eats him. He gets spit out at Nineveh or near. He gets spit out on land and travels to Nineveh at the very least. Yeah, so I was going to say, I think Nineveh, I mean, it's not Nineveh is very locked, but it's definitely not whatever the fish with a stomach the size of a person like whatever that was whether it was a whale or just something really big or whatever like there was no way that was getting anywhere near Nineveh it's extremely inland it's <laughs> but, extremely inland but that being said though like he gets spit out and travels to Nineveh and he doesn't want to go to Nineveh because of their wickedness that like if there is a place a preacher don't want to go it's there. That yeah. that is. Let's just be honest. Like it, they were that wicked, and but, Jonah. You know, was I, I the interesting thing is I don't know, and and I could be wrong, but I feel like Jonah's objection wasn't really fear. I feel Jonah's like Jonah's objection was hate. Yeah, he didn't like them. They weren't Jews, and they were persecuting some Jews. And Jonah didn't want God to forgive them. No. Jonah knew that God was good and God was gracious. And if God offered repentance, if he knew that if God was telling him to go tell those people to repent, that God knew that they were going to repent. Well, and it, it, and he wanted nothing to do with God not punishing those people. And it really reminds me of, you know, the Gentile woman asking for a miracle and Jesus says, it's not feet to give the children's bread to the dogs. And she says, yay, Lord, but even the dogs get the crumbs from the master's table. Yeah. And Jesus, in the way I've heard this described has really stuck with me. Jesus reached into the future for a miracle and brought it into the present because he's the only one that could do that. But it was not, he was certainly right. Like it had, it was not the Gentiles time. And he performed that miracle for that Gentile woman because of her faith. Yeah. He reached into the future and gave her a present miracle. But when we talk about Nineveh, he was not Jewish, as you said. 
he's reaching far into the future and offering something that is really only given to the Jews. Right. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I feel like the story of Nineveh and not that you're wrong. Like I, I've heard it preached that way too. And it's like moving and it's great. And I'm not saying that's a wrong view necessarily, but like the story of Nineveh really kind of messes with theology a little bit. Like oh God, yeah. with modern theology, like the way we're told things, like we're told, like, if you're not a Jew, then you weren't saved. And it's like, uh, the Ninevites didn't become Jews. Like they didn't even get, they didn't circumcise themselves. And actually Bible never read... says that they didn't enter into like a, a strict covenant. They just covered themselves with ash cloths and repented. And God went, you know what? I think I'm not going to punish you today. And actually, if you read later on in history, this is extra biblical, but if you read later on in history, Nineveh did turn back to wickedness and God did destroy them exactly the way he said he would. Yeah. And he, that's just an extra biblical. It just it got that. delayed, which I mean, and I guess that's the thing is like. But that's what Yom Kippur does. There's it's a just, lot of it, it is literally taking the sin and rolling it forward. Yeah, it's taking the sin. Like that's that's all that they had at that point. So it's like that's that's literally salvation at that point in time. And and it's interesting because like that's an objection that a lot of people who are like, well, the Bible can't be true. It, you know, it, it's and not that I'm all about you know the whole arguing about whether the Bible is true or not with non-believers. I think arguing about it is dumb, but it's a solid thing when people bring up the objection of, you know, well, if you weren't born a Jew, you didn't have a shot. Well, that's clearly not true because Nineveh was forgiven. Nineveh was brought into its own covenant that was outside of the covenant with Israel. And they were saved for a generation. And even, even if you want to talk about, historical extra biblical account where you have people becoming jews who were gentiles yeah but and abraham was a gentile who who started the jewish yeah cult, like all that so or there's balaam who wasn't a jew but was a prophet of jehovah like wait how does that work how how did they how children? did they come across a non-jew who was a prophet of god like who's a prophet of not a god but the god but he wasn't a jew oh and then you got Melchizedek, who somehow was a superior being, being? like was was he like uh, yeah which i mean we could go off on that is a whole that is a whole podcast and i don't even know we could do a whole podcast that never ends on all the all the theories on what Melchizedek is but, or could but, be but where I want to end up here, and I want to go back to, I think that it's a really good statement what we said about Christians are much more willing to sit at the table of punishment than we are at repentance. Yeah. And what we need to remember is that during the season of Yom Kippur, because it is coming up, it's September 15th to the 16th. And I, I've honestly considered with my family, like, uh, observing it i guess in a way not really not really because i have to just because like i feel like it's just a good thing to think about you know uh and keep in remembrance right so for believers in jesus you know that scapegoat that the priest lays his hands on is a literal image of jesus christ who was sent as an atoning sacrifice for our sins like john references in first john 4 and 10 like that scapegoat jesus takes our iniquities all of our transgressions he takes them from us and unlock that scapegoat that sacrifice is good for all for all time it doesn't roll sin forward yom kippur can be you know a conundrum to jewish believers in jesus because like it, they're trying to figure out like do they fast and and do they confess their sins like the rest of the Jewish community or do you rejoice in the knowledge of the Messiah? Because they're in a conundrum. And that's why I say, I don't know whether I should like make this a thing. Cause like, I feel like it's just one of those things that's good to observe. I, uh, I feel like a lot of this stuff when I hear it, I mean, a lot of it overlaps. I mean, like we, we talked about Pur Purim, which, 
the word of Purim is the opposite half of the word that Yom Kippur um, is the Jew, the Hebrew word. So like they're very related, but they're opposite sides of the coin. Purim is a little more celebratory um, and related to like Esther. And then there's, you know, Passover, which is a lot of the same stuff. Like a lot of it goes back to like continual repentance and continual atonement and continual, you know, self-observation and, 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 you know, removing your own faults from in yourself and, and continually working to make yourself a better person, you know, like, and, and I'm not saying that like, you know, the, the, the sins move forward and all that stuff didn't work that way. But I think sometimes in order to make it easier on ourselves, we hyper-spiritualize some of these things. Oh God. absolutely. You know, like, what if some of these feasts, they only existed as remembrance of big events. They existed as remembrance of the Passover. They existence as they, they, they were made as remembrance of the freedom from Babylon, remembrance of the 10 commandments being given and the falling of worshiping a different God. And that they weren't as explicitly spiritually existing the way that we think they did. Well, it goes back, you know, like, like if, if the high priest went in and, you know, like there's, there's, there's a stories and I don't think it's biblical. I think it's extra biblical, um, in the Talmud and stuff that the priest had to wear a bell tied around his ankle so that they knew when he died. Yeah. They, they would know if he died. Yeah. You know, if he died, they knew when they had to pull him out because if anybody else went in, they would die too. So like, you know, I, I don't know how true that is. I don't know how many times that happened, but I would have to imagine God is just, right? So, like, however heaven and hell and eternity worked for these Jews in this day, I would imagine that random Joe who did everything right on Yom Kippur, but happened to die in the wrong year when the priest didn't do right, wouldn't be punished forever because the priest didn't do right in his part of this ceremony. But here's the, other you know what I'm saying? So like, I just, and maybe that's my Western viewpoint of this making how God really works, not how God really works. You know, I don't know, but like, I, I, again, I just, I feel like sometimes we spiritualize it in a way that, makes it confusing and mixes things together in ways they don't need to and makes them more physical than spiritual in the way that it really is and spiritual in a way that it's not at the same time. So here's here's another thing about Yom Kippur. The tradition is that on uh, the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah, you know, God for lack of a better term, cast lots that determines one fate for the year, whether they live or whether they die. So they believe that on Rosh Hashanah, each person's fate is written in the book of life for the year. And then based on the 10 days of all and Yom Kippur, God seals it. You know, so that's the other like mystical part of this and yes it's probably super spiritual and yes it's probably super mystical in a way but i do think that's something very interesting to talk about because god sealing the fate of someone for the year like that is just that sounds almost like i don't it sounds almost like a calvinist argument it messes with theology again yeah it messes with theology again but it fixes some theology too because there's this whole argument about like how do you know if you're in the will of god and what is the will of god and it's like okay well i'm 37 it's entirely possible that my will of god is impossibly out of reach at this point Like, what if my will of God was that I go to Bible college when I graduated from high school and I become a pastor at 24 and I do all this stuff? Well, guess what? I'm 37 and I didn't do that stuff. So I guess I'm just out of luck now. 
Well, yeah. And that, like, and- like, and, and so like the way that we sometimes talk about the will of God creates all these weird inconsistencies of like, you know, or, you know, like other people make choices that mess up that will of God for you. And so it doesn't happen. Right. Like, right. I, I mean, it's like the idea of soulmates, right? When you really think about it, if God created one person on this earth that you're supposed to find and you're supposed to marry and that you won't be happy with unless you find them. Good luck. Right. It's, it's a, it's complete nonsense. But what happens if like you were born in one place and you were supposed, and God wanted you to stay there, but instead your parents took a job in another country. And so here you are on the opposite side of the planet from the person that's your soulmate and you never are within a thousand miles or in any way, shape or form anywhere near them or in the same electronic place, even to ever meet them. So you're just destined to be unhappy. It doesn't make sense. Right. Right. Well, and and it's not a biblical idea. So, I mean, it, it makes sense that it doesn't make sense, but like but, we but do that to the will of real. We do that to the will of God, but to Jews, it's very real. Like to, like they do believe that God determine like it is written in the book of life like the the book of life yes but we, what i'm i guess what i'm getting at is when you take it down to smaller portions it makes more sense well and i don't think it really determines stuff like that i think it's more talking about like live or die yeah so uh based on that in the book of life it god determines he writes it, I guess, in the Book of Life on Rosh Hashanah. And on Yom Kippur, he determines whether he's going to seal it or let it be. And, I mean, obviously, it's extra biblical. It's not a Christian idea. But it is interesting, at the very least. And I think it's something that we should honestly reflect on. Because I think it really shows us the um omnipotence yeah it reminds me of the omnipotence of god not not because like i think that it's necessarily real but just simply because it reminds me that god can do that if he wants to (laughs) but if he wants to do that god is god you know so at the end of the day though like yom kippur is something that is again one of the most holy days in jewish religion and it has some very massive connotations for the christian religion it almost lays the foundation for what we see in jesus as the scapegoat you know you have barabbas and you have jesus and i'll kind of want to leave with that like the the name jesus in his time was not an uncommon name i mean it it can be translated as Joshua or Jesus or, you know, either one. Isn't like Jesus, the Greek. It's, it's basically the shortened version of Joshua. Yes. And then Greek eyes by putting yeah. the us at the end. Yeah. And yeah, well, Latin eyes and transliterate and then put into Latin from that and then put and into then put in English. English from Latin, from Greek, yeah. from Hebrew. So it's like, we took it through four languages <laughs> because Jesus in I believe the original Greek has an X in it, but um, either way, Jesus's name was not uncommon. So some scholars do believe that Barabbas's name may have very well been Jesus Barabbas. Well, that is an actual possibility because Barabbas just simply means son of the father. Right. So That's interesting. So they were referring to him as last name. So they would have been like son of Joseph or son of Bar- or Barabbas, son of the father. Yeah. And huh. So like you got the son of God and son of the like it, it, it is some wild theology when you get into the, the etymology of these names. And like so anyway, Jesus Barabbas and Jesus the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And 
Pilate is standing there and he's offering up these two, these two, if we want to put it in Yom Kippur terms, goats. He's saying, I'll give you Jesus, the man who says he is king of the Jews, which by the way, he never really said, or I'll give you Jesus Barabbas, the murderer. And we all know how it played out. They, the priests stirred the crowd, and it's interesting that they didn't actually cast. If it's if it's if it's supposed to be parallel, they didn't cast lots. True. They chose. I wonder. True, like, but, I wonder if there's a like a reason. Like, I mean, but if you look into, if you read through though, uh, there's a point. I believe it may be. Caiaphas actually prophesies of Jesus' death. He says, it is good for one man to die so that the whole nation doesn't suffer. Yeah. And, you know, if you look into that, this the goat was a goat chosen by chosen to take on the sin or to die for the nation. And Jesus was that sacrifice. He was chosen not only because of his the uh, people he was bringing to the religious community, but also because he was the Christ, the Son of the Living God, and that was his destiny and purpose on this earth. Mm-hmm. And it's just so interesting because Pilate washes his hands, and what did the priest say? What did the crowd say? Do you remember? Let his blood be on us. Let his blood be on us and on our children. Like that's some heavy stuff. And when you put it in context of Yom Kippur, like that is, whoa. But you're placing the blood of the son of God on you and your children. Like that is. You know, what's interesting though, is they didn't mean it in a good way they meant it in a bad way like if it's wrong punish us but exactly i mean immediately you, after they meant it in that way but at the same time the bible is pretty clear about what happens when the blood of jesus is applied to you exactly. and it's not a bad thing it's a good exactly. thing you and know they, I, I find that really interesting like and honestly i've never like explicitly thought of it that way that like they were like, let the blood of Jesus be upon us. And I'm like, wait a sec. Like when you said that, I was just like, wait a second. That's not a bad, like I, I've heard people say it like it's a bad thing. Like, I mean, there's all the theories. I, I've heard theories that like the reason the Holocaust happened is because the Jews killed Jesus and all this ridiculousness, which is just utterly ridiculous. Yeah. But, but like there is that undercurrent all over the place. And it's like, guys, in Christianity, the blood of Jesus applying to you is not a bad thing. And in fact, if it's you look literally at it, the best thing that could ever happen to you ever. But again, what happened with the blood of that goat and the blood of the lamb? Like we all know like the blood gets applied to the doorpost at Passover, but the blood from that sacrifice got applied to the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. And so when the Jews are saying, let the blood be applied to us. You know, they're literally taking the blood of Jesus. They meant it bad, but who was the gospel supposed to go to first before it could go to the Gentiles? The Jews. Exactly. And I mean, I'm not saying the Ark of the Covenant is actually inside of us or something, but I mean, if we are the temple of God and the Ark of the Covenant belongs in the temple of God, then on some level. Well, it's all it's all foreshadowing. Yeah, it's all foreshadowing. That's what I'm saying. It's all foreshadowing. Like the place where the blood of Jesus was supposed to be applied is them. It's on us. Yeah, and so, so like, while 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 there there are people out there making it bad, I think our argument is take a step back, realize what they said. Yeah. Right. So, and and while they were meaning it as punish us if it's wrong, at the same time. The blood of Jesus has never been a bad thing. 
It's never punished anybody. Exactly. It's never and, failed anybody. And if you read in Revelation, it says they overcame by the blood of the Lamb, which is Jesus, and the word of his te- and the word of their testimony. So I, I do want to leave with that because at the end of the day, they could have chosen Barabbas, and Barabbas was definitely a guy worthy. He was a murderer, a rebel. He he was he was literally what Jesus, what they called Jesus. If you read up on Barabbas, Barabbas was a rebel. Barabbas was a religious zealot, like James the Zealot, which was a disciple and a fisherman. If you read up on Barabbas, Barabbas was most likely a religious zealot that had killed a Roman guard at some point. So they're painting Jesus as this usurper to Caesar. Meanwhile, the real usurper to Caesar, they just asked him to come back into the crowd. So in this season of doing better, introspection and repentance and being in right relationship with your neighbor and God, I do ask, which one are we choosing? Because we can, I feel like a lot of times we choose Barabbas because much like the high priest and the crowd, we want to sit at the table of punishment. And we want to see people get crucified for things that they really need forgiveness over. Yeah. Or we can choose to sit at the table of repentance and choose to choose to be in right relationship, not only with God, but with people. Because the cross is both vertical and horizontal. Vertically, it's God and us. Horizontally, it's us and everyone else. When Jesus is on that cross, he's pointed vertically, but his arms are completely out, up against that cross. So again, I ask, which one do we want? Do we want the rebel, the accuser, the the man who deserves the punishment, which is us? Do we want us? And our desire, or do we want Jesus Christ, the Son of the Living God, and His desire, and to sit at the table of repentance and be part of the solution and loving others and loving God with everything we have? Because that's what this season is about. No, we're not saying like you need to go out and practice Yom Kippur, but we do think that this season can be beneficial to Christians. I don't see any problem with saying, hey, just in this season, be mindful of repentance and forgiveness and like you should every day. But maybe we're keeping you in mind of it a little bit more. You know, and that's something that I really have enjoyed about this podcast. I think Larry has enjoyed that, too. We've discovered a lot about ourselves. And about religion and about Christianity and how Judaism fits in. We've discovered so much that I feel like God has really opened up a lot of my blindness to his glory. It's really only showed me more of his glory. And I feel like if we can understand that, God's definitely going to continue to open up more and more of his glory to us and show us just what he is capable of doing. Right? Absolutely. Like, I I mean, I'm, I'm, very happy for anybody who listens to this but the reality is is that whether anybody listens to this or not it has had a very positive effect on my life absolutely and and i'm grateful for every person that listens to this podcast please listen to another episode right after this one ends and after that and you know just make a playlist and just play our podcast 24 7 please um (laughs) but like I appreciate you listening, but even if no one does, like just there's nothing more valuable than spending time learning about God and learning about his ways and learning about his truths and his lessons and everything that he has for us. 
And, and it is never a waste of time to seek God, to seek his word, to seek his truth, and to ask him what he's saying to you in things. So, you know, we come together and we, we ask God, you know, what are you, what did you t- say in Yom Kippur and what can we learn from that? And, and we have this great conversation and we learn. And the thing is, is that, yeah, it's only the two of us, but it's interesting too, and we can talk about this another time because I think this is another podcast that we can do is that the reality is, is that we think that church is this whole sermon thing where we sit and we listen to a person lecture for an hour and everybody just kind of takes and then they go home and whatever. But the reality is, is that how this was set up, it was very much more give and take. They gathered and it wasn't just in the synagogues because the synagogues weren't there at first. The synagogues came in Babylon in the exile. Mm-hmm. But like, it doesn't matter what point of this it was. You know, Paul didn't go and give 40 minute monologues and ignore everybody else and then walk, you know, go out to dinner with the other preachers and ignore all the common folk. No, he gave lectures like you would see in a college where people ask questions, where Oh, wow. That, that crazy 19 year old student just told the professor who's been studying for 30 years that they're dead wrong. And you know what? The professor welcomed it because the best way to learn whether you're that professor who's been teaching on this subject for 30 years and has a doctorate on it, or you're that student who is questioning that professor is to have some open dialogue with some rules of engagement and some respect for certain guardrails of the discussion. You know, that's the best way to learn. And so we're doing that, you know, we're coming together and we're having these conversations and we don't always agree upfront, especially on the topic, but by the end of the time that we have a discussion, we always have an idea of where we stand and we always have an idea of what God has to say to us in it. And, and that, if nothing else is so valuable, you know? And so we thank you for listening. We thank you for taking part in this and, you know, 100%, I know we say it, but like, if you have a comment, if you have a thought, if you disagree, let us know. If you agree, definitely let us know, you know, but like, let us know what you think. Let us know what you want to hear. Let us know what we say that piques your curiosity and makes you go, wow, I want to know more about that. Cause you know, we probably want to know more about that too. We're just not sure anybody wants to hear about it. Right. You know, well, so like, let us know, get a, get, send us a comment. I know a lot of the apps that you listen to podcasts on, you can send messages to us through those. We get those. Um, or at least theoretically we would get them. I, I, I don't think we've gotten any yet, but let us know, comment on our Facebook pages, on our Twitter feed, on our Instagram posts, like, let us know what you think, what you feel, what you, what you hear in the things we say and what more you want, because we want to learn and we want to grow. And that is the point of this is to learn and grow. So to our Jewish counterparts who may or may not be listening, I just simply say, and they will understand this, next year in Jerusalem. Have a good one, guys. We'll see you all next week.